giving me those dates uh, relatively soon. Great to have all of you here. Brother Zach and Sister Macy, I don't know if she's going to preach tonight or nope, sing, I don't know, whatever, here. Praise the Lord. Did these kids do an amazing job or what? It was awesome just getting to watch all of that. I felt like I was losing my breath, though, watching all of that. So amazing to, to see the the passing down of, of the, the, the generations, of taking this truth that, that we have, this faith that we have, and watching it being passed down to generations. Again, I give great honor to your pastors. It's such a joy to be here with all of you and, and to, to celebrate what God is doing in this church and in each of your lives. It's truly just an honor to, to be here and to have some time of we've had such an amazing time, the hospitality, and, and it's just been a wonderful weekend here. I'm going to be directing your attention to 2 Kings chapter 4, 2 Kings 4, starting in verse 1 tonight. Throughout this service, I've really felt there's been this deep aspect of ministry that's taken place really since the beginning of this service, and it's confirmed to me uh, what I have really felt for this service, what I feel like God has given me for tonight, and so I'm hoping to tag in with what God is already doing here and just ride the wave and see what God still has yet in store for us in this service. Second Kings 4, starting in verse 1, now there cried a certain woman of the wives, of the sons, of the prophets, unto Elisha, saying, Thy servant, my husband, is dead. And thou knowest that thy servant did fear the Lord. And the creditor is come to take unto him my two sons to be his bondmen. And Elisha said unto her, What shall I do for thee? Tell me, what hast thou in the house? And she said, Thy handmaid hath not anything in the house save a pot of oil. Then he said, Go, borrow thee vessels abroad of all thy neighbors, even empty vessels. Borrow not a few. And when thou art come in, thou shalt shut the door upon thee and upon thy sons, and shalt pour out unto, out into all those vessels, and thou shalt set aside that which is full. So she went from him and shut the door upon her and upon her sons and brought the vessels to her and she poured out. And it came to pass that when the vessels were full, that she said unto her son, bring me yet a vessel. And he said unto her, there is not a vessel more. And the oil stayed. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil, pay thy debt and live thou and thy children of the rest. From this passage of text, I'd like to preach for a few remaining moments in this service tonight, a tale of two vessels. A tale of two vessels. Can we bow our heads and go to the Lord in prayer? 
Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for what you are doing in this service tonight. God, we ask that as the word goes forth tonight, that it would fall on good soil, that it would accomplish the purpose that you have in this church and the lives of these precious individuals. God, I pray you would anoint the word in the name of Jesus. Amen. High up in the cloud-engulfed East Kashi Hills district, just across the Indian border, north of Bangladesh, there rests the tiny village of Malsiram, India. Home of a little more than 1,000 people, this impoverished and unassuming village nestled in the foothills of the Himalayas is easy to overlook. A simple poll here tonight would probably affirm that the majority, if not all of us have never heard of this village before. The village is known not for its architecture, not for its politics, not for its transportation, its education, its technology, or even its breathtaking views. The village is known around the world for one simple fact that it itself cannot control, rain. The tiny village receives a staggering 467 inches of rain a year, 38.9 feet of rain. It is considered the wettest place on earth. These villagers have learned how to adapt and live to this waterlogged life with 38 feet of rain. They fall on this village each year. But that's not the whole issue. It's not the whole story because when the monsoon clouds roll away, when the rain ceases, this wet desert as it has been affectionately dubbed, it faces an annual water crisis. Again, the wettest place on earth when the monsoon clouds roll away faces a water crisis. After nearly 39 feet of rainfall, after serious flooding, after the rain falls and the clouds roll away, the villagers receive water once a day as a, tr as a, a truck brings water up from the valley from Bangladesh. How is this even possible, you might ask? How is it possible that the wettest place on earth for a few months has no water. The reason is because this village, this region is situated among the hills just outside of the, the Himalayas and there is no way of collecting the water. The, the, the shallow surface, the rain just simply rolls down the mountain. It goes down and floods into the valley and so though the rain falls, and though they received this staggering almost 39 feet of rain, nothing sinks beneath the surface. What falls ultimately runs down the mountain, leaving little behind. The peril of revival is dancing in rain that will never soak beneath the surface. We come, we pray, we hear the great preaching, we, 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 we receive the word from God, and then we go home. 
And by the middle of the week, we can feel this parched aspect of our lives as if nothing ever happened. Let me remind you this evening that if you're standing in a place in, in this house of God, in this church, where the Spirit is constantly descending, where you can come and you can be blessed and you can hear the Word of God, you can sing as we have tonight and touch the throne room of heaven. This is a place where the Spirit of God falls, where we can receive much from God. This church is a place where you can see God bless people, where people are healed, where miracles can happen. This is a place where the revelation of God comes forth. However, it's possible to be spiritually parched, though going through this weekly experience of the downpour of God's presence. Because we understand that it's not just enough for us to come to church but there's this aspect where church has to get within inside of each of us. Amen. If you come to this place seeking something for your life, their life this evening, let me remind you that the Spirit of God can be found here. There are many in this building that can testify of the fact that this is a place where you can come and touch God, where you can come and receive the Spirit of God, where you can be impacted by the grace and the mercy and the love of God. This is a place where you can be soaked and saturated with the Spirit of God. That you can be filled with the Spirit of God this evening. Judas Iscariot, though, is an infamous figure in biblical history. We move through this fact of understanding that he was one of the twelve. Jesus himself called him into ministry. He followed Jesus and the miracles that took place in the life and the ministry of Jesus. He was a disciple, a companion of Peter and John. They were his associates. He was among the elite, so to speak. But the account of Judas paints the portrait of a life soaked with the Spirit, but never fully saturated. He had so much potential. God in flesh was his mentor. Do not believe that Judas was predestined to betray Jesus. On the night that, that we find the betrayal, we understand that Satan was, was pulling at the hearts of the disciples. Jesus himself told Peter that the night of this betrayal, that Satan sought to sift him as wheat. But the difference between Judas is nothing ever soaked in. There was no depth. There was, no, there was no root system in his relationship with God. There was, there was no depth of experience. He had witnessed the wonders, but had experienced little personally. It is this crisis of a life that has never fully soaked and saturated the glory that it was surrounded by. This wet desert that we understand is not the only place that we can learn from in our lives, in our relationship with God. Last summer, Macy and I were, had an opportunity to go to Arizona with her family, and we spent a number of days hiking. And as we hiked through the Grand Canyon and through the Superstition Mountains, what really kind of stood out to me was the saguaro cacti. These huge cacti that are indigenous to the American Southwest, they, they, they grow extremely slow. They live in this parched region of there is very little rain, there's very little nutrients 
But a 10-year-old cactus is only about an inch and a half tall. They can grow to be around 40 to 60 feet. Uh, records have them over 78 feet tall. But they grow at a very slow rate because of the fact that there's this lack of nutrients. There's this lack of rain to sustain them. But how do they stay living? How do they survive in a climate that is nowhere conducive for growth and conducive for, for continued survival? There is this single tap root that the cactus has that plummets beneath the, the desert floor and that it soaks up nutrients from deep within the soil. There's this aspect of life that, that, that moves beyond the surface, this desperation of survival that, 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 that draws it to move deep within the soil. I want to remind you here this evening that if in your personal life, in your relationship with God, if you feel that you've been walking through a dry and arid time of waiting for something to happen, waiting for the Spirit of God to descend, I want to remind you that, 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 that this is a place where you can receive the Spirit. This is a place where you can touch the throne room of heaven. A place where, as we have felt tonight, the Spirit of God moving throughout the sanctuary. Because we see even biblical examples of this. Hannah is a perfect example of a life trying to survive in the middle of what feels like a spiritual drought in a culture where there were significant norms or significant value placed on bearing children, Hannah had no children. Her husband's other wife provoked her and mocked her. Her husband regularly went to the synagogue but seems disconnected from the problems in his own home. Hannah stumbles into the synagogue in this, in this place of of utter desperation. She comes to this place of spiritual brokenness, seeking an answer, seeking something in her life. Eli, the priest, as it is, is spiritually blind to the desperation of this lady and confuses her, her brokenness for drunkenness. And yet, in that day, in the dusty shambles of Hannah's life, she digs deep, and at the bottom of her brokenness, at the bottom of her life, she learns this truth that's found in Deuteronomy 33, 27. The eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. I've come to remind someone here this morning that if you're looking for something deep within, if you're looking, if you're feeling a little dry this evening, if you're looking for something in this house, keep digging here tonight. Keep pushing forward here tonight. It may be dry. It may feel like there's just a little bit more. There's something here beneath the surface. I want to remind you that in due time, that God's arm is not slack. His promises are not empty. That God is in this house. His spirit is here in this house tonight. Can anyone testify of the fact that God's hand will come through? That his spirit is sure. His promises are sure. That God is in this place tonight. As we look back at, at our scripture text this evening, we find this portrait of this woman who is facing a serious situation. Her husband, a prophet, a man who was a contemporary of the prophet Elisha has died. Aside from the grief 
that this woman is facing, she's also confronted with a substantial amount of debt. And it seems to be no way of paying off the sheer amount of debt that is owed. And so the creditor has, has threatened to come to take her children into to, to, to be bond servants, and they will work for him for who knows an indefinite amount of time to pay off this debt that is owed. It is in this broken, empty place that the widow comes to Elisha. But she comes to him telling him her, her, him her plight, telling him of what is taking place in her life. And the prophet sees through the crisis. He sees through the anguish and the grief, and he asks a simple question. What do you have in your house? Elijah simply asks, what do you have? It's not what the prophet has to offer the widow. It's not that the prophet has the, the, the answer, so to speak. He's saying, what do you have? What do you have to offer? The question is not from some outside source, so to speak. But the question is, what does she already have in her possession that can be used as a conduit of the miracle? The lady's response is, she has nothing. The furniture is gone. The china is gone. The family heirlooms are gone. The home is empty. Everything seems to be, to be sold off except for a pot of oil. What would drive a person to get rid of everything but the oil? believe that as we seek to answer this question, we look at the account of Jonah and the shipwreck of Paul in Acts 27. We find this lesson that I believe applies to the widow. Jonah was on a merchant ship traveling from Tarshish. From the time of Solomon, merchants had been sailing across the seas, trading valuable goods of the finest embroidery work, multicolored rugs, gold, precious metals, it was on these ships that, that the, the, the wealth of the region was traded and exchanged. But when the storm came, these valuable commodities diminished. They were nothing more than excess weight. The same is found in Acts 27, when Paul is aboard this merchant ship full of grain. They're traveling to, to take grain to the Roman Empire. When the winds of the storm unleashed their, flur, their fury, the, the, the sailors dumped this grain into the waves. The lesson is that only in the storm do we find that gold and grain have the same value. They're both just excess. They're excess weight, excess in the midst of the storm. In the storm, it sifts through of what really matters here, what really matters on this boat, what really matters in this life. And this is where this widow is. She has gotten rid of all of the excess, save this little pot of oil. Because the oil represented something that went deeper than just things, that went deeper than something that, that, that was just tangible. She knew that furniture comes and goes. You can buy a new bed, can get another couch. Silverware is nice, but it can be replaced. Paintings are nice, dishes are nice, but they come and go. But in the midst of the storm, in the midst of this time of life, there's something that runs deeper in life. 
It's this oil of our lives. It's this oil of the anointing of God. It's that relationship with God. It's that voice of a sure word. That voice of a man of God. It's that oil in our lives. It's that, that anointing in our lives that runs deeper than anything that we can have in the moment. That runs deeper than any tangible object that we can ascertain. It's that relationship with God. It's that core aspect of who we are. Of what we know to be true. And so as we approach this woman, we find of where she's at, that she has gotten rid of everything except for that voice, except for the voice of the man of God. And the prophet tells the woman to borrow as many vessels as she could. Get them from every one, from pour into every vessel she could possibly get and bottle all of these bottles up. Then the prophet says that once you've done this, go. Sell the oil, pay the debt, and keep what is left over. And we know the rest of the story. But let me remind you in this house this evening that God is in the business of filling empty vessels. That God is in the business of filling empty things. If you're in this church this evening looking for answers to problems that seem bigger than yourself, if you're looking for hope but always coming up empty, if you feel that you're at the end of your rope and you're in need of God's help and God's spirit, let me remind you this evening that God is in the business of filling empty things. You can walk out of this church filled this evening. You can leave this place whole. You can leave this place healed and touched by God this place because there is faith in this house the spirit of god is in this house there's promises in this house are there any witnesses that can testify and say that god has touched me in this place god has come through when i needed him in the middle of the storm in the middle of the situation because as we look back through the bible as we look back through the account of creation through the end of the bible we find this continual thread genesis 1 2 tells us that the earth was without form and void. It was empty, it had no form, it had no, 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 no specific design. And God steps in. And this world that is empty, that this world that is void, and he speaks to the emptiness. He speaks to the, the, the void and he brings something that was not. Creation ultimately brings us to the, the pinnacle of God's creation being Adam. We read in, in, in Genesis 2 where God forms man of the dust of the earth. And after he forms man, he breathes the breath of life into him. He forms this vessel of man and he breathes the breath of life. He fills Adam's empty body with this breath of life. As we continue to move throughout the Bible in Genesis 6, we read the account of God telling Noah to build this ark. And then God fills the ark with animals and God fills the ark with this promise that he had. As we progress through the Bible, we move to Exodus where God tells the Israelites that he has a testimony for them. He has a promise for them, but that they could not receive the promise until they had a place to hold it. He told them to build the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant. And as they create this, God gives them this testimony. He gives them this covenant of a place that they have. As we walk through the pages of the Old Testament and move into the New Testament, we find time and time and time again of God filling 
empty vessels. As we again walk into the New Testament, the first miracle of Jesus' ministry took place at a marriage when they ran out of wine to drink and they are in need. And in, in this place, Jesus tells the servants, go, fill the water pots. And from the water that they fill, they, they take these empty vessels, they fill the empty vessels and God does the miracle. I want to remind you in this place that if you have a need in your life, God can only use what you give him. God can only use what you allow him to use. The woman had a little bit of oil, but after all, she did have a little bit of oil. As we look at the servants at the marriage, they, they, they had to go and get the water as, and Jesus turned the water into wine. What are you giving God in this house tonight? Maybe you're giving him your time or your energy, your future, maybe your finances. Maybe you're giving God your faith and your trust. What are you giving God? Because the momentum of Scripture carries us to the very birth of the church in the upper room. On the day of Pentecost when the Spirit of God fell on all those who were gathered together. Uh, Acts 2, 4 reminds us that they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance. Let me remind you again this evening that God fills empty vessels. But at the end of the day, from all that I can gather through studying Scripture, to the best of my understanding, there's only one thing that God has ever intentionally left empty. There's one thing that he intentionally left empty. That was a tomb three days after Calvary. Three days after Calvary's cross, he walked out of a tomb. And because of an empty tomb, because there is an empty tomb today, we have this hope of eternal life. We have this promise and this assurance this evening that because the tomb was empty, we can be filled with the Spirit of God in this house. And I want to remind someone here that you can be filled in this house tonight. You can be filled with joy. You can be filled with peace. You can be filled with hope, with love, with mercy. You can be filled in this place with the very Spirit of God. That because the tomb was left empty, there is hope for each of us to be filled with the power of God. We can be filled here tonight. That whatever the need is, whatever that need that we've come here seeking, that because there's an empty tomb, there's a promise that we have from God that we can be filled. Are you thankful that we have that promise tonight? Are you thankful that we can come to a church, we can put our trust, our hope in a God, that we can be filled with His Spirit? But as we turn back to 2 Kings 4, I believe that we find two kinds of vessels in the widow's home. There were those who came empty, that were gathered from friends, from family, from relatives, from neighbors. There were those vessels that came empty, were filled, and they departed. Never came back into the house again. They came empty, were filled, and left. But there was another vessel in the house that day. There was a vessel that never ran out of oil. A vessel that was never empty in the house. A vessel that stayed and poured from within the house. Which vessel are you today? Do you come weekly needing to be filled, needing to be poured back into? 
Do you come to church to see what the church can offer you? Or are you here lingering? Here at this service this evening, hoping to touch someone else's life? Are you here that committed to this church, to this faith, to touch those lives that are around you, to touch those in this city that have yet to attend a service in this building? All of the vessels were filled. All of the vessels met the, the need that they had. But there was one vessel that stayed, received, in my opinion, the greatest honor. It was this vessel that stayed and poured, and poured into the other vessels. It was this vessel that never ran dry, that never ran out, but continued to pour into the other vessels. So I ask again, which vessel are you? God has called each of us in this house to minister the gospel to this world that is in need. No doubt all of us in this room can think of a friend, of a family member, a coworker, or a neighbor who has yet to discover the peace and the joy and the love of Jesus Christ. And if we're not careful, we can come freely receive from God and never share it with anyone else. We can come, we can be filled, our personal needs can be met, we can leave in faith, leave encouraged, and never share what we've received. We can hoard the oil and tuck it away. The problem is oil that continues to pour out, that continues to move, that continues to be applied stays fresh. But if oil is undisturbed for long enough, it will turn sour and go rancid. The famous Dead Sea in Israel has a 35% salt content, making it impossible for fish plants and other aquatic life to live in it. As we know, it is the Dead Sea. But why is the Dead Sea dead? It's the lowest body of water on the planet. Water flows into it from all the surrounding mountains and streams. Everything flows into the Dead Sea, but nothing ever flows out. The Dead Sea is dead because there's no outlet. There's no freshness that moves from beyond the Dead Sea. Everything comes in. Everything pours into the Dead Sea, but nothing moves out. May this never be said of our lives. May this never be said of this church, that this church is a church that will always pour out into this city, that will always pour out into the lives of those that enter into these doors, that this church will continue to reach for another vessel, that will continue to search for one more person, one more soul, one more person to invest in, one more person to share the gospel with. May that, that, that we must share what we have been given. So we bring this to a conclusion as the musicians come. The widow in 2 Kings 4 took her little jar of oil and a word from the prophet and began to pour. And she poured and she poured and she poured. No doubt, as we look at this given moment, there had to have come a time. I just, I just imagine that there was this time where she's pouring and she's pouring and she's just like, is, are, are, are there more? At what point does this stop? At what point does this actually end? Her sons kept handling, handing her one vessel after another. And the little pot continued to pour. 
Who knows how many vessels were filled because one pot continued to pour. According to what we see in Scripture, Ananias in Acts 9 only ever shared the gospel with one person. According to his ministry, we only see one single person that he shared the gospel with. He shared it with a man by the name of Saul. Saul, who would become the Apostle Paul, wrote half of your New Testament and revolutionized the Christian church. One man's obedience to God reached a man who shook the church, who shook the, 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 the time they were living in with the revelation of this precious gospel. I'm here to remind someone this evening to keep the oil flowing. Next week is Easter. We've had this amazing presentation that we were able to share in tonight. The oil will continue to pour out. The oil will continue to, show, to, 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 to pass down to the generations as we're investing in the children of this church, as we're pouring the oil into the next generation. What are we doing to continue that? What are we doing to share this gospel with this city? As we all stand, Find someone here this evening. If you've come empty, if you've come needing in this church tonight, I want to remind you that you can leave this house filled. You can leave this church tonight filled with the Spirit of God. You can leave this house filled with grace and with mercy, with the love of God. You can leave this place filled. But if you've got the anointing, I want to remind you that you can come down here. You can join with a brother or sister. You can continue to pour what God has given us as we open these altars to those who would like to come and pray.